Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Dr. Jacqueline King, the CEO and founder of Black Women Empowered. And as you know, we bring exciting people to you that are doing exciting things. And today, as I always say, will not disappoint you. We have Miss Dee Dee Lofton Davis. How are you doing, Miss Davis? I am blessed, highly favored, black and thankful. Yes, you are. Uh, I'm just gonna give a little bit of uh, Dee Dee's uh, bio. Uh, and I love your tagline, anti-racism is a mindset, behavior change. I, I actually posted that on the flyer. Um, As a strong, calm and racially inclusive leader, I strategize and lead initiatives to institutionalize anti-racism in the workplace, culture, policies, and practices, and SOP. Uh, currently, my anti-racism trainings, methods, practices, and policies are used in various federal government agencies, USAID, Global Health, ESG, Budget, and Policy Office of HV, HIV AIDS, Professional Development and Management Support, PDMS, Human Capital and Talent Management, uh, Strategic Operations Management, HR Office of Management, and Budget, Global, Global Health Strategic Communications, and the Anti-Discrimination Council, and Data Analysis. That's a lot. Um, as All well right. as universities, including uh, Lincoln, Stanford, and the American Academy of Arts and Sciences, Harvard, and C-Suite. Wow, 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 yep. wow. The wow. Bible says that your gifts will make room for you. And I never pushed. They found me on LinkedIn or they snipped into my DMs or my or emailed me. And I said, okay, Lord, I run with it. You know, I never saw up those opportunities. They found me because of the authenticity in the work, you know. So I give all the glory to God because, you know, but God. That's all it is. People say, what, who's your marketing? Who's your PR person? Oh, the Holy Ghost. I can hook, hook you up if you like me to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you you are you are so right. But you know, uh, let me let me see. How did you how did you uh, get started? And I mean, what I mean, I know there's so much going on. We have so much to talk about. But how did what made you want to go into this area? So I always say racial equity found me. Um, I always started in community. That's where I actually got like you know my my legs. Um, volunteering, you know, racial equity. If nothing else, when you're working with your own community and also brown communities, um, working with um, volunteering, whether it's through faith-based organizations or nonprofits, that's how I started. You know, I interned, volunteered, then eventually, of course, they went into paid gigs. Well, that's how I got started professionally. On a personal level, I say racial equity found me. When I was in kindergarten, it was my first day of kindergarten, a really short story. My grandfather, um, who only went to school till he was about eight years old because his father had passed away. Um, and like other people back in his generation, when a parent passed away, if you were the oldest boy, you were supposed to go to work. And before he went to the, uh, he was in North Carolina, before he went to the fields and um, picked blueberries all day. And this is an eight-year-old child in North Carolina, Jamaica, North Carolina, picking blueberries all day, eight years old, to be in school learning. Um, and when he would walk to school, it was nothing for him to see black bodies hanging from trees mm. the night before. 
So when, you know, I came into the picture, you know, he always, one of his biggest regrets was that, you know, he never could finish school. He had to support a family and he did really well. He became an entrepreneur, which of course is in my blood and did really well for himself and his family of five kids and his wife. Uh, but he never got the education. He could write his name. He could read like, you know, certain things like on a contract, but he really couldn't, you know, extensively read. And so my five-year-old brain of all of five years old thought, well, I'm going to teach my grandpa how to read. Wow. I love him. And my sisters who went to school before me would help me with my ABCs and learn how to read. So my first day of school, I was really excited. I had my yellow and white dress on with my white flowers, my Afro puffs was back in the seventies. You couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> I black platform shoes on, okay. walking my way up to the kindergarten. It was an all white town, even though I lived in the black area of the town, which is typical. Um, walked to the school two blocks by myself. I was proud of myself. Walked up the steps and saw four little white boys looking at me, looking down on me from the elevated position. And I thought, oh, they must have heard how much I love to read and how much I love education and they're the welcome committee or whatever my <laughs> imaginative brain thought. And the closer I got to them, I saw them reaching in their pocket and they had rocks in their pocket. Oh, wow. They reached in their pocket and they threw rocks down on me. So it even hit harder. And I bled my, from my forehead to my cheeks on my eye, down my beautiful yellow and white dress and, and black platform shoes, ran home crying to my grandmother. She looked at me horrified, cleaned me up and I'm just tra traumatized. And once she cleaned me up, she said, listen, we're gonna go back to school. I said, no, we are not. Grandma, I'm crying, I'm hysterical. And she's a 300 pound black woman, you know, and I'm all of 68 pounds wet. She's like, no, we're gonna go back to school. We're gonna tell your teacher and we're gonna fix this. I'm like, fix this, I'm terrified. And so we're walking the two blocks and I'm just traumatized. She um, politely opens the school door, uh, the school doors and asks for the teacher to come to the back. And she has a white lady, blonde hair, blue eyes. And then she comes to the back and she shows her me. Teacher is horrified, horrified. My grandma tells her what happened. That first day of class to both of their credit, they discussed, because I was the only black person in the kindergarten, discussed how to treat and respect me as a black person and racism would not be tolerated in their schoolhouse. And that's how racial equity found me. So I learned from my grandmother how to advocate for myself. Well, you know, we all have a story like that. I just want to say yes. welcome to everyone that's tuning in. Please uh, let us know where you're tuning in from and share this broadcast um, because it is going to be very important information that we're going to share on here. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that you would say that because I, I have some, some, some horror stories. We all do, Yeah. Uh, you know, being, working in a, for a predominantly male dominated industry and all white engineers, which is where I spent almost 27 years of my cert yes. you know, employment. You already know that yep. I have glorified white supremacy culture, whiteness culture, toxicity, all of that. We all have the stories. So uh, let's talk about, you know, I never in, in my million years thought that we would be at this place where we are now. Um, and some, uh, there was somebody, I blocked him, 
and said black people are just as racist as white people. I don't know if you saw that comment, but I blocked them. No, I'm good. Um, good to hear you blocked them. That's what I do. Yeah. My block list is extensive and long and used quite often. Well, he said that on this platform. He just typed us in, in the thing. He wanted to start something, but um, I, I don't get into that that foolishness. Me neither. So why, why is it that you think that we just cannot get a break when it comes to um, being accepted and embraced. Well, I always go back to, and it's sad to say, going back to, again, Reconstruction and before Reconstruction era, slavery. You know, it's a system that does this. The system has had 200, actually 400 plus years to perfect itself without an era. So when you have 400 years of a, 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 a white supremacist system, a racist system, um, a structure that is meant to oppress um, and keep out black and brown, especially black um, communities since slavery, um, that's what you're up against. People say, why can't we just stop out, you know, racism and, you know, and white supremacy? And, all, and, I, and I have to always, you know, educate and say, we have to uproot the system. For me personally, I don't fight people. Fighting people is exhaustive. It's, you know, for young people, if you want to do that, you know, feel free, live your life. But, you know, for me, I am not going to sit all day on social media and, you know, fight with a person, then hit sin, you know, and say, oh, with ego, I got him or I got her. No, I uproot systems because the system is the giant. It's like David and Goliath. I'm fighting. David didn't fight the whole entire army. You know, that Saul was fighting. He just fought one giant and knocked him down. That being said, I'm looking for that giant. Or I'm not looking for it. I found it. It's, it's the system of racism. So I'm fighting the system. I'm not fighting the people in the, in the war. Fighting people is exhausting. It's frustrating. It never ends. Hit the root of it. And that's what I do. Well, you know, um, Black Women in Power, we've been around, <clears throat> we November, we celebrated 10 years. Um, and I, and you already know, you already know that I have some stories, but just recently, and I, I actually pinned it to my page because it was really interesting. Um, there was a white woman, she said she was from South Africa and she said, um, I'm all supportive of, um, of, um, DWE because some people don't like to say the name and, and that's okay with me. But I don't understand why does it have to be black women in power? And uh, she said, no, she said, I don't understand. No, she said, I, I, I understand. No, I support. That's what she said. But I don't understand the name. Why does it have to be black women in power? And I no, she said, I don't understand. And I said, well, what part don't you understand? And, um, and so she said, well, the name, you know, the name. I said, well, you know, if you took the time to write this message, then it seems like you would take the time to go to the website, maybe read a little bit about us and see who we are and what we do. And I said, and then you would have found out that we embrace all people. We don't discriminate. However, our differences are very major. So black women need more encouragement, more support. I said, you all get, you get it every day. Somebody's always supporting you. So we, it, we have to be our own support. We have to be our own encourager. It's not about, uh, you know, weeding anybody out or thinking that we're better, but we, if we don't do it, who's gonna do it, <laughs> you right. know? 
And so she and I went back and forth and back and forth. And uh, finally, she got tired of me coming back at her. And she said, well, I, I, okay, I understand. I get the message. She didn't want to talk anymore. <laughs> yeah. But mm -hmm, Go ahead. You finish your thought, please. No, but, but the thing is, we've been fighting this fight. But here's what I believe. Uh, I believe that it's really all about power. Uh, they're so afraid of losing power. Uh, and so any way that they can stop us from possibly gaining power, that means voting, that means whatever it, it takes, changing, redistricting so that our votes don't count. All this stuff is crazy, but that's what's happening. And it's just because they're afraid that if we get into power, if we ever get into power, we're going to treat them like they treated us. That, that's my theory. It's a good theory. And going back to your example, the woman that you were having that, you know, discussion with, and I use that, you know, loosely. Um, it's interesting. I believe you said she's from a white woman from South Africa. So it's interesting how she would not look any further than her own country with apartheid. And that's exactly. why we're asking about Black people being empowered in their own country when they had centuries of apartheid before Nelson Mandela and how they treated him, you know, after, I mean, before, of course, the, um, the freedom of that. Um, so that's an that's interesting point right there that, you know, that I, I find, you know, typical of those who have never been oppressed racially. Because we all have some sort of oppression, whether it's by gender, whether it's by sex, whether it's by um, whatever the system is that of oppression that we're facing. But with black and brown people, especially with the black community, we are all of that plus, white supremacy plus racism add on top and then add it daily. You know, yeah. you have a bad day at work or have a bad day when you're in community going to the store. You, you know, you get in line to get your groceries and you're at the cashier's, you know, line and someone just takes their time for whatever reason, or someone, you know, yells, you know, at you when you're driving or, you know, going to your car, walking to your car at your groceries. You know, that's, you know, that's irritating, it's frustrating, but now add racism. Because there are times where I've gone to the grocery store and a security guard follows me for no reason. I don't look like I'm a thief. I don't, you know, carry myself as a thief and is walking around. And so I go, of course, to the manager and I report it. I actually take my camera out and take a picture so I have someone to show this person was following me. Does he work for you? And then I go from there. Um, so when you have that daily or you go into office and you're gaslit from the beginning of your work day, racially gaslit on top of all the other things you have to do, that's the difference. And when there are laws that still are racist laws, there are still laws out there where in some states you can't wear your natural hair. Not allowed to, you know, because it's not seen as professional. And that's racist. Oh, oh, that's I know. I, I, so that's why we need black women empowered, black men empowered, because historically, systematically, it's been taken from us, and we've been fighting since 1419, I mean 1619, to get our power and have at least the equivalent of what has been taken from us. Build generational wealth and respect in the communities that we built. Yeah, one of our listeners says um, we need voter education, coalition building, community forums, community education, skill build, skill building, building, uh, and et cetera. 
and having uh, difficult conversations. Well, let me just tell you something. I, I'm for all that. I, I used to be a diversity recruiter, so I've probably seen a lot of stuff. But here's the thing. You can't educate people who don't want to be educated. <laughs> the mind is already set. They're teaching the children the same, the same, same things. When you get these 18-year-olds uh, going out, and they, or even younger than that, uh, hating people for no reason, it's coming from somewhere. It's coming from their home. They're passing it on to generations. Uh, you know, and, and, and we could do the same thing. You know, we could we could teach our kids, and and it, and it could it really could go either way. You know, white people are the worst, and da 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 da. da. Uh, but the point is, it's unacceptable. And like you say, it it is a mindset change. And if you don't think there's anything wrong, why would you change your mind? You know, when people uh, I'm asked this often, you know, I I, I actually also always expected as a racial equity consultant and anti-racism consultant i'm always asked and it's normally sadly you know and predictably by white women and sometimes white men and they say you know what do you have against diversity you know racial equity you know why can't we all just get along you know why can't we all be together and i said that's not the problem i said i have i have respect for diversity as the foundation of change in corporate america you know, diversity has been a foundation for change. However, statistically, and we have all the proof, we have the data, you know, coming back from 2020, because we had all that time during the pandemic to up to present time. We have the data showing that diversity has benefited professional, white professionals the most. White professionals, since diversity had even coming to fruition back in 1960 has built generational wealth for predominantly white women yes. and white men, systematically built generational wealth. It has done little for active change for black and brown communities. Now, of course, they've been called out the system of diversity and inclusion for being so white, you know, Forbes, look no further than Forbes magazine, look no further than Inc., McKinsey. You know, Business Insider, all of them have the same research, the same statistics. Diversity and inclusion has benefited white professionals and they built generational wealth. So where racial equity comes in and anti-racism comes in, we address that head on. And yeah. say basically your policies, your protocols, your procedures are either racist or they're ineffective. So let's change that. And, and as so, we're saying that, we're not always invited to the party. People think, oh, great, I want to get into racial equity. I said, wonderful, we need people in here. But what is your motive to be in here? Because you don't look like a black or brown person and you don't identify as a black and brown person, you identify as a white person. And I just looked at a statistic, I believe it was um, a um, corporate was um, American corporate citizens or corporate. I, I forgive me. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. I'll get it for you later and, and, and text out that one. Um, but 63% of white professionals now are building generational wealth from social impact positions. That's the newest thing. It went from diversity and inclusion, equity. Now it's social impact, which actually is trying to and has also also encompassed racial equity. Imagine that going from diversity and inclusion being, you know, 
the majority white professionals building generational wealth. Now it's moving to social impact. And 63% of all those benefiting from social impact, which includes racial equity and equity, are white. Yeah. And 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 when you look at the pandemic, just let's just look at the pandemic for a minute. We know that we were adversely affected by that because first of all, uh, many of us couldn't get couldn't get the Association medical. of Corporate Citizen Professionals. That's what it's called. Association of Corporate Citizen Professionals did a study. I want to get that out there. Okay. Uh, but what I'm saying is that we didn't, uh, you know, we couldn't get the medical uh, attention that, I mean, you know, um, support when the pandemic, a lot of us had the service jobs where we, we didn't have a choice. We had to go to work. So they kept saying that it, it, we were more of us were dying, yeah, because we couldn't sit home and work from home. We had to drive buses. We had to work in factories. We had to expose ourselves to CNAs, all of that. That all frontline workers, frontline workers, right? The no, frontline workers, black but, and brown, who were again the saving the country, right? But here's the thing now. So now they have this ARPA. I know you heard of ARPA money that's supposed to be helping the, the disenfranchised, those who were disenfranchised during the pandemic. But guess what? The states, the cities are keeping the money and doing whatever they want. They're not distributing it to the underserved communities. I know, because I'm in one of those uh, cities where they, they are hold, they've been holding the money for two years. And now they're going to do something else with it. When I ask about it, ah, we haven't put the database together, that, that, because I got a nonprofit. Can't get it. You know how you fix that problem? It's so simple. It's so simple. Vote. And telling a Black person to vote nationally, and we vote both uh, locally, which is even more important, I believe, in my own opinion, uh, locally, because it affects how we live and where we live and how, and how we have a quality of life, if it's good or not local elections but we are historically have been the, the 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 majority um the biggest majority of communities that uh, our community that votes so when you have us voting consistently locally when you have people who are who are not black or non-black you know it's to get the word out saying if you really are our ally if you really support racial equity, anti-racism, support black and brown workers, frontline workers, then why are you not voting? And, and I mean, and, and businesses, you know, they should be vocal. Um, if, if, you know, you know that black and brown people are, are definitely underserved in, in every area. <laughs> Why aren't you trying to help the cause? Speak out. You know why? Because they're worried about the bottom line. It's always about the bottom line. The, the, rich, the rich, wealthy white people are going to get mad and they're going to not buy our products and blah, 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 blah. That's, that's what it is. You know, Mackenzie came out with a, um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person, I love statistics, I love facts, I love researching, because racial equity, if nothing else, you need to have the statistics, you need to have the historical data to move the needle and educate and also move change for policy and procedure. That being said, they came out with a study back in 2021, I believe, 
and it said that um, black, you know, wealth and black spending, actually, black spending is over at, at two trillion dollar mark, which is great. We're actually black and non-black, you know, people consumers are investing in black companies. Amazing. Leading companies, in my own opinion, saw those facts because they have people who work for them and they look for statistics and research on racial um, business and said, oh, there's money to be made in black business. So some of them thankfully have, you know, partnered with black companies like Target and, and, and is working on really building generational wealth in the black community. But others, you know, we learned this past week about or last week about Walmart using Juneteenth to make money off of our black stories and lived experience. And that's yeah. where the issue is, taking once again our lived experience our stories and capitalizing on that without doing anything when it comes to at least economy, doing anything when it comes to changing policy and procedures for the black community. So, so what is are you going to invest in something like a target, a company, you know, who's really striving? And I'm sure they're not perfect, but at least they have a lot of um, black owned businesses that they highlight even in their commercials. Um, and other companies, leading companies that really are invested in the black community, or are you going to support companies that just want to once again do it for symbolism while pocketing black generational wealth that should go to us? Yeah. So how how are you being received when you go into these um, government uh, institutions and stuff? I mean, are you making a change? Because I'll tell you a story. Um, and this was years ago, I worked in a assistant living and um, I was the office manager. I'll never forget it because we had a, the executive director had a meeting, a team meeting, administrative meeting. And what we would do, the activity director would do different themes. Like for Halloween, we would dress up, you know, put on costumes for the residents or stuff like that. So uh, Black History Month was coming up and um, the activity director asked me that I have a speaker that I could get to come in and speak to the residents about Black, uh, Black history. And she asked me in the meeting, did that mean that she could uh, dress up like Aunt Jemima and paint her face black? Now, I'm not, I can't, I'm not even creative enough to make this up. <laughs> it really, really happened. Uh, I believe I, you. I believe you. I was speechless. I really, and I'm never without words. I couldn't talk. I'm like, she's got to be kidding, right? Anyway, long story short, I reported it to corporate. Good. They did a one-day diversity training. Let me tell you how they were. They brought a black man in, and he did a. He showed a movie of, uh, remember the Titans? Remember that movie? Denzel Washington. Yes, that was it. That was the diversity training. That was it. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Let me sip my water on that one. <laughs> well, when it comes to anti-racism work, once again, I always say that's why I'm in anti-racism, racial equity. Again, respect for for diversity, but historically and statistically has, has done little really, you know, to move the needle for equity. That being said, if I had five PhDs, had been on Oprah, 
interviewed by CNN and MSNBC and ABC and all the other affiliates and had a great personality and then came in to do a change in consultancy for a company, that would do nothing. None of that pedigree would do anything for the work of racial equity and consultancy, especially for black staff and brown staff. What changes immediately, what moves the needle is policy. Policy, law, procedures, that's what changes because there's no choice. It's written down and, it, and it's, it's, again, it's to be followed. When you have anti-racism policies, there's no argument. Argument shut down because we shouldn't have to argue to be treated equity and with equity equally. We're not asking to be superior. We're asking to be respected professionally and personally as your equal not as your subordinate with the systems of white supremacy and systems of whiteness and systems of oppression have tried to make our community, whether it's through work, corporate, whether it's through the churches, because we know a lot of the evangelical, which I respect, and they'll even tell you themselves, history has it, where it was started on, on white supremacy and on slavery. Also going back to um, community, you know, when it comes to politicians, when it comes to um um, you know, electoral, electoral college, all systems, you know, so it's policy, it's laws, it's protocols, it's procedures. That well, change. you know what, you, you said that, and you know what it reminded me of, remember the movie Harriet? Yeah. Remember when the black people would have the church and they, and the white people would sit on the porch and it was all kumbaya type, yep. type of thing, but that that's that's what you're that's what you're you're you, that's what you're talking about that's how right. it was that's how i started and again I, I, nothing else I'm, I'm a researcher and i'm and i'm a historian when it comes to our our community because i want to give education i don't want to just give what i think i know i don't want to come from a place of ego i want to come from a place of education and lived experience and as we go back of course when it comes to our people and movements we know that it started in the black church I love um, Dr. Gates, Louis um, Henry Gates, and he always gives us, I, I'm a PBS groupie, call me whatever. I'm a groupie for PBS and public television because it's free information and it's great and accurate information. It's not more correct with a quickness. Um, but we learned that our movements, historically the best and most effective movements started within the black church going way back towards slavery. So much so when we had little organizations on the plantation, it was, it was so threatened that they would have overseers and plantation you know, masters come and check in on the black church. Before it was like, oh yeah, but you said kumbaya, praise the Lord. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Micah 6, 8, where it says, you know, what does God require of you? It says to live justly. It's interesting that that word justly was one of the first things he requires of us and to of course give mercy and to love people. But he began with justly, God to God of justice. So if you're considering yourself a person of faith and you consider yourself a person of faith of reading the Bible and living by the Bible and God tells you, this is what I require of you in Micah 6, 8, and I begin with justice. Why are you fighting against it? I love that. I just want to give a quick shout out to my friend uh, Linda Gray, who is um, she's uh, on my on my team. She's a nonprofit expert, and she um, she just she just called it out. The ARPA funds are not going to the communities, and we can, there's nothing we can do about it. 
because they control everything. What are you going to do? Oh, well, she, you are doing something bad, which is great. You're calling it out. Calling it out brings awareness. From awareness, it comes back to going through leadership and holding them accountable. There is something we can do. Hold leaders accountable. Just like Walmart, we with a quickness with Walmart when it came out with that that Juneteenth ice cream, red velvet. What in the world? I can't. When, well, I didn't even hear about this. When was this? Oh, I'll send you the link later when we're offline. But Walmart came out with an ice cream last. It was um uh, last week. It might have been this week early. Um, that's supposed to celebrate and highlight Juneteenth. Oh wow! Red velvet ice cream. What? Boy, bye. That being said, there was an outcry. Lisa Hurley, I believe her name, was giving her a shout out. Hey, how you doing, sis? How you doing, queen? Um, she brought awareness, and other people like her brought awareness to that. And before you know it, of course, people on Twitter were doing it as well. Um, and people on Facebook were doing it as well. And before you know it, within two days, Walmart sent out, you know, a press, you know, release saying they apologize and they're going to, you know, take it down. You know, and we're wow. saying make sure you, you take the, down the trademark as well because you're not going to copyright our lived experiences. That's how you do it. You bring awareness first, and then you go to accountability, and you go from there. So you, there, there is hope. That's why I do what I do. You know, in anti-racism because there, there's no there's no glamour in being an anti-racist consultant or a, a senior racial equity consultant. There's no glamour in it. I do it because I have love for my community and love for my family back here. You know, I want our lives to have have a quality, a good quality of life, and not have to be oppressed by um, racist systems. My grand my grandparents and my great grandparents took it as far as they could. Now it's our turn. I was trying to read this comment. I, I, I just, I don't have my glasses on, but somebody wrote something really long. So I can't what do we have to do? We have to do, what do we have to do? I mean, I know you're doing your part. What what part can we play in this whole Support, thing? So, you know, I, I, I started out with a statistic that social impact now is, and the needle has gone from, or the popularity, I should say, has gone from diversity and inclusion to social impact jobs in corporate. And statistic by that, um, and I'll give you the name again so you'll have it. Let me pull it up here. By the Association of Corporate Citizens Professionals, they did a study. And 63% of all social impact corporate positions and leadership go to white professionals. And that's what I do, racial equity, anti-racism. And when 63% of the white professionals are doing the work that I've been doing in community and in business as an entrepreneur, but getting paid higher and getting more um, 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 opportunities and access, once again, I'm calling out that racism saying, why are we doing this again? We called you out on diversity. So now you've changed from diversity. Now you're going to social impact. So we're calling you out again. Well, to me and what I found because holding you accountable. I was on the diversity council for my job. Not only was I a diversity recruiter, but I was on a diversity council. And everything to me was just a smoke screen. It was just to say we have it, but it really wasn't to actually make a difference. Are you finding that? Yeah, it's like a child who like, you know, you tell them, you know, don't take from the cookie jar, you know, mom or daddy just made these cookies and we want to, you know, we're all going to enjoy, you know, together later. And you know what the child does, it takes and eats anyway. And the mom or, or, or parent or guardian says, you know, why'd you do that? Oh, I, I'm sorry. While they're still chewing on the cookie. I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry, and they do it over and over and over again, it becomes meaningless. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how it's been for, um, you know, when it comes to diversity initiatives. And again, I'm not harping and, and being, um, throwing diversity away. I don't say we should throw it away. We should, you know, um, build a better system than it has been given to us. It's the foundation, but we need to build from there because it's, it's done nothing but build generational wealth the majority of the time for white professionals. And once again, off our lived experiences, off our work, off what we've done, have not had access to what they've had access to while they're telling our stories. And well, I don't know, I've been out of the workforce for quite a while, but when I was in the workforce uh, in HR, here's my understanding and you correct me if I'm wrong. So when they went from affirmative action, it really was a joke because what they were saying, the government, this is all they said. Your employees have to reflect the communities that they serve. Now, you know, you know, I know what I'm talking about, right? Tokenism. That's that tokenism. Okay, back in the but, day. but here's the problem. They're not telling you that you have to hire them. All they're telling you is that your hiring pool has to be diverse. That's no guarantee that they're going to get hired. You could have a, a, a pool full of black and brown people, but you could still be hiring uh, white people. But as long as your pool is full and you say, well, that you'll say that person wasn't didn't qualify or this person, that's how they got around it. Well, listen, how about this as an example? That affirmative action was back, of course, going back towards the um, 50s and 60s, which eventually became well, diversity actually, inclusion. When I, was in, when I was working back in the 80s, it was still in place. Exactly. It was still in place, exactly. And then morphed into diversity and inclusion. And once again, though there were actual policies saying you don't have to hire you know, a black or brown person or a black person. All you have to do is say you interviewed them and then you're good. Cut to like 2022, and we're finding out that NFL had the same type of policy. Oh, you can, you know, just interview black coaches, but you don't have to hire them. Oh, no, 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 no. Affirmative action back then, they had quotas. No, you had to have so many blacks. You you had to. And that's what the, 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 the white people got angry because they were saying that they were putting unqualified or white people more, more qualified than the people and they were just hiring them just because they were black. That's why they changed to diversity. But with diversity, there is no guarantee at all. Right, exactly. And that's what, that's what I was saying. Affirmative action it morphed into diversity because of that fact. Once diversity and inclusion came, they said, oh no, all you have to do is just basically interview them. That's right. You don't have to hire them. And then it ran for over 30 years building white generational wealth. And now again, fast forward to 2022 with the NFL, which is a billion dollar business, but built off again, a lot majority, most of them are black football players um, building generational wealth for, um, you know, white owners, which I hate that term white owners um, in football. And then when black coaches, and I'm not really a sports sports person, so I don't know all the names and coaches. My husband would know that, but I, I don't. But when two of the coaches said, listen, you know, you say all you have to do basically, they're, they're called the Rooney Rule. And you know, those listening can like correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not a sports person. I think the Rooney Rule is what they said. And it's in policy. And all you had to do was basically, you know, just say you interview a black coach, but you don't have to, you know, hire the black coach. And so the black coaches were basically saying, once again, this is racist, this is bringing awareness, and now they're holding the NFL accountable. 
So that's, again, going back from the 50s and 60s of affirmative action to the 70s and on up to the 2000 diversity and inclusion, and now 2020, 21, social impact, still benefiting more so white professionals. So once again, calling it out, changing the policies, incorporating and understanding what anti-racism, racial equity, who needs to really be in that room. Yeah, so- And then holding so, people accountable to that. Well, we have to keep having these conversations and letting uh, people know that, uh, you know, it, it, it's a smokescreen. But if you do your research, like we do, you read and you find out and you call people out. Let me tell you, when I was working, shoot, they used to call me Angela Davis, girl. I'm serious. I was an activist. I'm serious. I was an activist for the company because I'm not going, you're not going to treat me any old kind of way. I am educated. I'm smart. I'm resourceful. And you might be able to get away with it for a little bit, but I'm going to give you a heart. I'm going down with a fight. And yep. so I'm telling the people that are listening, do not give your power away. Right. There is something that you can do. Find out who you can contact to help you or, uh, you know, just, just get education on what, you, what your rights are. You know, well, a long time ago, exactly. A long time ago for my black elders, we teach people how to treat us. So how do right. people how to respect you or not respect you? Right, but but you need to know you need to know what some some uh, states have a a uh, what uh, they can fire you for at will. That's what it is. They don't even have to have a reason. Other states don't. Find out if you're at one of those those uh, in one of those states where they can just say we you came in today we don't like you and bye. And you can't do anything about it. But the reality is, even if they do that and they say you can't do anything about it, you still can do something about it. Because that's what they have EEOC for. People don't know about exactly. it. Exactly. Equal, equal, I'm about to say that you need to an equal opportunity commission. I, that's the first thing you go to and look for your rights as a worker. You know, within any company, there are federal laws that protect you and look for and go to the EEOC website and look to see what, what basically your rights are and then go from there. And even looking to having, if you need, if need be, if you can afford it, and some will work for pro bono, just do a little research and look to getting to a human rights or, um, you know, workers' rights, I should say, workers' rights lawyer. Right. So, I mean, there don't just sit back and let stuff happen to you. Uh, you have to be proactive in your own course. Uh, and that's in, that's with anything. Uh, if, if I hadn't been a fighter, God knows I wouldn't be here today. Uh, even with, uh, you know, even with working with the company, even with BWE, let me tell you, if, if half the people knew the stuff that I go through just trying to keep this going, the the verbal abuse there was a man i posted something yesterday that president obama said about the about the murders about the the kids and it was really profound this man came to on this page on linkedin and said uh bwe doesn't need to be uh, political well there was nothing political about that 10 kids are dead what, what's political about it they just want to always make it look 
everything that every time something happens, they want to make it political. Well, of course, I'm like, if he thinks I'm going to fight with him, but that's the kind of stuff I have to, these, these kids are dead. These parents are never going to see their kids. Those two teachers are dead. And, and now you want to fight over, over who said it because he was a Democrat and you're a Republican. That's stupid. Yeah, and true. And, and what I focus on, I don't focus on people like that because basically I don't know who they are. I don't know if there's some type of like Russian bot. bot. I don't right. know if there's some type of American bot. So I'm not even going to get involved. I'm not going to waste my energy or throw my pearls at swine. I'm just going to look at the systems I can do. And I saw a perfect example of that with um, on ABC News um, with um, uh, gubernatorial candidate Bedro O'Rourke. I saw it, girl. I was so proud of him when it came to the standard white response of gun laws because a lot of them have been paid by the NRA and are going to NRA con uh, um uh, convention, I believe, next week, along with the former, I don't want to call him president because I, I don't think it was legit, but you know who the leader of, of the last, you know, previous before Biden was going to support NRA while they're killing children in a small town, you know, Uvedo, you know, Texas. And they're, you know, saying, oh, yeah, we're so sorry, standard, we're not going to do anything, response, we're just going to make you feel like we're doing something. And Beto called them on and said, you're, you're doing nothing. He did. And he's, he's putting, again, not only is he putting his mouth where his money is, but he's actually running for governor. So I say, yeah. if you are in Texas and you want to support racial equity, anti-racism, you want to support gun reform, changing laws, and that, that are more humane, then vote for candidates like that. When you continue to vote or not vote, that's the same thing as voting for someone who's not going to be in your interest then you have nothing really to say of worth the people who are fighting every single day for a better quality of life. Absolutely. Um, all right. Yeah, and my, my girl, Linda, she's in Texas. But we need to organize and we need we definitely need to vote. Uh, I hate when people say it's not going to change anything. See, that's why we are where we are, because of people who say, oh, my vote doesn't count. It's not going to change anything. Yes, it is. And so I encourage everybody to get out and vote. I don't care if they change the redistrict, whatever, doesn't matter, still vote. I, I'm, I live in Indiana and I have only been here two years. Um, our election was a couple of weeks ago. And honestly, I didn't, I kind of missed it that it was, and I was looking at the news, it was 5.30 and I said, oh my God, it's election day. Polls close at six. Girl, I put on a baseball cap and I'm telling you, I, I don't miss voting. You know, I'm so proud of you. Same here. I, I actually, in my own hometown, I'm, I'm, I'm a committee person and I go to elections and I, you know, help to um, inspect ballots um, as a Democrat. Um, that being said, for those who feel like their vote doesn't matter, I, I want you to come closely to the computer. Just come. Just, come, come, come. Go, come okay. on, girl. Get up there. <laughs> okay. Just look no further than the, the queen just wonderful Stacey Abrams, who gracefully, heartbreakingly lost the last gubernatorial elect or she didn't election. She stole it. Well, that, that too. You're right. Exactly. Thanks for the correction. Yes, stole it. They threw Trump out her. those ballots. We know Exactly. Yeah, I, I believe that as well. That being said, she didn't just sit home and say, well, you know, votes don't, you know, matter. I don't, can't do anything. No. Queen 
She strategized, then she organized. So much so, she got two more seats in Senate for the blue for Democrat after an election was stolen from her, after she lost. That's what you're doing. If your candidate does not win the election, then you go back, you strategize and you organize and you recruit and you register more voters. That's what you do and you, as consistency. Republicans got this message a long time ago since Reconstruction because voting before slaves got the right to vote, it was never an issue. The moment slaves fought for during Reconstruction, the right to vote, that's when you have police patrols and plantation patrols coming out policing black people. Look at the history. Google it because you're not going to learn it in school, unfortunately, in America. Unless you're not, look, and yeah, look, I know that's an entire new conversation. But do your research and you do it again. And when you don't vote, you're voting for the opposite, um, the opposing team that's trying to give your life and kill you whether it's through guns, whether it's through um, pro-life, pro-choice, whether it's through anti-Black you know, um, anti racism, anti-Brown racism, anti-Asian racism, when you don't vote or when, how about this? If, if you're not able to vote, then find people in your community who are you know, legally able to vote and help them if you have a car. If, if you know, you can take them to register, I mean, to, um, to, to, to vote, you know, do what you can and that will change. But to sit home and say nothing will change, you know, if our people back in the civil rights said that, if Malcolm X and Dr. Mm -hmm. King said that, we wouldn't be where we are today. That's my little uh, soapbox. So yeah. I can talk up a little right. bit. Let me just call out a couple of people. Cece, God bless you. Marcia is on. Lori, Candace. Uh, and, and and please share this broadcast. I ask you all the time, share it. It is going to be on our podcast as well, but I'm going to ask you to, to help me get the word out um, because we know that they're blocking the conversation. They have been blocking. It is no big deal. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop. So it doesn't matter. Go ahead, block, do what you do. I'm going to do what I do. And I'll keep on replaying it over and over again, so it doesn't matter. But this is good conversation. What about um, what about the books? They don't want them to read Toni Morrison's book. Now that I gotta go. Toni Morrison is my goat from like you know Blue Eye. You know, oh my goodness, oh so many. I I, I can't even think about it. I just like just so proud of what she's done. The Bluest Eye. Um, every poem that she wrote, you know, um, my memory is not good when it comes to like quoting things like that, but give me the book and I'll, you know, just dissect it for you while we're reading it together. That being said, um, I'm so proud of the, um, generation Z, the Zers or, you know, or you call them Zoomers now because they all them went to school during the pandemic. Um, a lot of them are starting groups and, and these are white, brown, black, you know, non-black, um, um, kids who are starting banned book clubs. I love it. It's like becoming a movement. So they're saying, oh, you won't teach us about, you know, black history. And these are white kids as well. So bravo, bravo, bravo. And, you know, are saying you won't teach us about brown history. Okay. You won't teach us about feminine history. We'll have our own private, you know, book clubs of banned books you've done. 
You know, once again, going back to laws, that's why I always say local elections mean a lot more to our quality of life than national ones. Local elections vote in those judges and those school district leaders who are trying to ban the books. So if you're all in the uproar, oh my goodness, look what they're doing. I'm like, what did you vote? Did you have people to vote? Okay. And you, and you know what? Again, this, whole what critical, this whole critical race theory, now you know I have my idea of, of, of why it's a big deal now because you know what happened? When uh, George Floyd was murdered, the white kids came out. Yes, they did. Respect, that, respect, respect. Thank you. That, that ticked them off. Oh, we got to stop them. From and white women came out as well. Thank you, thank you, thank yes, you. Yes, yes. We were together. Well, yeah, but, unity. But, but, we but changed things in unity. But my point is, they don't want the kids to be to to turn into activists based on reading what happened to black and brown people. That's that's my that's what I feel. That that's the only reason. Yeah. Racism is so ignorant. It's so stupid. It's so ill-informed. Critical race theory is taught nowhere in K through 12 elementary school or high school. It is taught nowhere. Where it's taught is Harvard University, law school. That's the only place in a couple other law schools where it's taught. So those politicians, we all know them, who come out and say, critical race theory, what about this? I'm like, it's not being taught anywhere. If kids know about it, it's because they have Google and they're smart enough to learn about it. That being said, once again, that's racism, white supremacy in action. I want to go and, and look more into white replacement theory because that boy in Buffalo killed our people, 10 of our black, beautiful, you know, ancestors now, you know, but, um, you know, productive citizens based on a theory that was never taught in school because we're still fighting over Christopher Columbus if we still should learn about him. No, teach us about white replacement theory and how to uproot white supremacy, how to uproot racism in all of its forms. That's what kids are saying now, which I appreciate and I support wholeheartedly. And they're putting their money where their mouth is. They're opening their own book clubs, banned book clubs. And I say, more power to you. How can I, you know, line up and help you and support you, bring awareness, hold people accountable? Miss Didi, you are a breath of fresh air. Praise God. He's anointing. That's anointing. I hope, and I hope that everyone has enjoyed this, this broadcast. Uh, like I said, uh, we, we didn't get a, a, a high turnout because I think maybe the people are working or they're blocking it, which is probably both. But that's okay. Uh, we're not worried about it because we're gonna we're gonna run it again uh, later on this evening, and uh, and again and again and again. It's uh, it's on YouTube. I can share it off to YouTube, so it you know it doesn't matter. But uh, we thank all of our listeners for your comments and help us to help you spread this video everywhere you can. We actually are live right now on YouTube, Twitter, and five Facebook pages simultaneously. Wow. Wow. You can go on any one of them and see this broadcast. Um, so please share it. Have your friends share it, your family share it because the conversation needs to be had. We won't move forward 
unless we take steps to make things happen. Nobody's going to save us. We have to save ourselves. Um, Didi, thank you so much. Um, we, we have to do this again. Uh, I think we have to do this like <laughs> at least once a month. <laughs> I know your, your schedule is tight. Very I, busy, thankfully. I'm I was blessed to, to get a squeeze in. I'm glad, but you're just going to have to make room for me. And, um, <laughs> so we, yes, can, we can come on and, and, and educate. Uh, I, I'll work on your schedule. When you, when, you say, when you say you got time, that's what we're going to do. Uh, God bless everybody, and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your support of BWE, BME. We've been around for 10 years. You can go to our website, blackwomenempowered.org. It's going they have two You have 2 million followers on Facebook. No, they actually, we have, we, have, we have more than that because that's our main page. We yes. Have, Close to three million, and when you love it, that's where that's where you're gonna find all of that the engagement. LinkedIn appreciate you, but Facebook three million followers, y'all get behind. Well, they yeah, well they yeah, Facebook don't like us, but anyway, it's all good. You can get us where you get us. We're on Twitter, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Pinterest, we're on Instagram, we're on TikTok, we're everywhere. So uh, go to our TikTok. It's at Black Women Empowered. And you can get our, our your inspirational videos on Instagram, everywhere, Pinterest. If we're even on Tumblr. So, but if you go to blackwomenempower.org, you can get all of our pages in one place. Down the bottom, you can click on all of them and go right directly to them. Again, as I say always, I love you. We do have something big coming out. I can't tell you about it now, but it is huge. Um, and you'll be able to partake uh, in this this big announcement that we have coming up uh, in the very near future with a major celebrity. Uh, and I'm so excited about it. So stay tuned, follow, share, like. God bless you. Until the next time, be encouraged.